Hello, it's Wednesday the 8th of December. I'm Andrew Pearce and this is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail newsroom. Coming up... What are your rights if your transport is cancelled and you were making plans for Christmas? We'll give you some of the answers. An awful start to the ashes for England down under. The government seeing another spike in Covid cases is talking about moving to Plan B. What does that entail? I'm talking also to a member of the COVID-19 Bereaves Families for Justice group about the shocking video that's emerged from Downing Street. But first, the senior Tory MP Sir Roger Gale gives his view on Boris Johnson's apology in the Commons after that film came to light of Downing Street officials giggling and laughing about the Christmas party which has now come to haunt Boris Johnson's government. At Primes' questions, Boris Johnson issued a fulsome apology for the shaming video that's emerged from Downing Street of senior officials giggling and laughing over reports there might have been a Downing Street Christmas party. Was it a cheese and wine party? Was it against the rules? It's a fictional party. It's been pretty torrid and it was pretty torrid in the House of Commons. Sir Roger Gale is the Tory MP for North Thanet, a very senior backbencher. Uh, Sir Roger, you were very keen to see how the Prime Minister behaved at Prime's questions because you said if he misleads or if he's not truthful, it could be game over. Is it game over yet? No. He was very, very wise to take the line that he took very quickly at the start of Prime Minister's question time to nail those colours to the mast, to say that he was horrified by what had happened. Um, He sought to shift the blame. He indicated that he had been peddling the line that he'd been given, which was that there was no party, there were no breakings of the rules, and that everything was all right. And it looked as though that no longer probably was the case. So he, as you said, offered a fulsome apology and instructed the Cabinet Secretary to conduct a, a swift inquiry. We now have to await with interest the outcome of that inquiry. The interesting thing to me is that it's taken a week for this to happen. You would have thought, wouldn't you, that the Chatelaine of Downing Street would have um, got to grips with that a bit earlier? I mean, if, if you've got those kind of questions being asked, wouldn't you have said to your team, I want the answers to this very quickly indeed? He, he also could have said so making the point that he wasn't at this party no one's accused him of being at this party uh, he could have said look i wasn't there if there was an event i wasn't there i'm going to get to the bottom of it and that would it would have gone away now this is turning into arguably sir roger perhaps one of the biggest crises of his premiership and let's face it he's had a few of those i think that this is a bigger than barnard castle moment and for this reason um dominic cummings does his own thing thinks he can do what the hell he likes barrels off to Barnard Castle without anybody's consent and the muck hits the fan. And I commented very publicly on that at the time, as you know. This is more serious because it's happening under the roof of Downing Street. And the Prime Minister is supposed to be in charge of Downing Street. Now, colleagues of mine who are perhaps rather more charitable than me have said, well, yeah, but you can't expect him to know what's going on in every nook and cranny of Downing Street all the time. That's arguably true. But when questions start being asked about something like this, you would think, wouldn't you, that the man at the top would have said, I don't like this. I want to know chapter and verse. and I want it by yesterday morning. 
It's also caused embarrassment for a number of very senior ministers. I'm thinking of the Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, the Policing Minister, Kit Malthouse. Uh, and this is Crime Week, after all, as dictated by the government. And um, the Deputy Prime Minister, Dominic Raab, who've all parroted the Downing Street line that either there was no party at all or no rules were broken. Now, the Prime Minister never fell into the trap of saying there was no party, but he said there were no rules were broken. But effectively, this is sucked a lot of other senior ministers into the same mess who must be hopping mad i would guess that's true i mean we all thought that crime week was a was a, was about preventing crime not committing yes. it um <laughs> but but that aside this is very serious and it's serious for this reason looking ahead between now and christmas um the the, the virus is spreading Omicron is with us, and it's going to be with us until the new year, at least. The government is very likely, it now looks probable, that the government will have to introduce some stricter measures. We can only do that, we can only ever do that, with the consent and the goodwill of the public. And if that consent and that goodwill is not forthcoming because of matters like this, then that is a very serious issue indeed. If people stick two fingers up and say, don't care what you tell me about what I've got to wear about masks or whether I've got to have a, a, a vaccine passport or whether I can't go into a pub or a restaurant. Um, I'm just going anyway, because if you can do it, I can do it. That's serious. And that's why it matters. And would you blame them, Sir Roger, if they did that? If your constituents came to you and said, look, I'm very sorry, but this has happened before. Barnard Cass, as you've referred to, uh, we've seen the Prime Minister often not wearing masks when um, we're supposed to be wearing masks. Would you blame them if they said to hell with it? Well, I blame them for this reason only. It's not a terribly clever idea to cut off your own nose to spite your own face. Quite. Um, the prevention is about looking after you, but more important than you, those you love, the people around you, the people you work with. This is a courtesy. Wearing masks is not to protect me. I wear a mask to protect other people around me. That's what it's about. And while I can understand, of course I can understand the degree of bloody-mindedness on the part of Joe Public, by the same token, that would not be clever. We've got to listen to the scientists and if it becomes necessary to do some things that we actually don't want to have to do, then I'm afraid we're going to have to do them. And that means you and me. And it actually does this time mean all of us, including the, the, the occupants of number 10. Actually, just finally, um, this is, as you say, in your view, worse than Barnard Cast. And in my own view, I think it is probably the worst crisis he's faced how many more of these can there be before some of your colleagues say that we've had enough of this? At the moment, I think they're prepared to give him the credit, if only for being the least worst of the options, which is not a great endorsement. Um, but looking ahead, Tory party can be very ruthless when it has to be. And mm. if it has to be, it will be. Interesting a way to end that conversation. That's Sir Roger Gale, who is the Tory MP for North Thanet. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. The film of a senior Downing Street aide laughing and joking, giggling 
about the illegal Christmas party thrown during the stage three lockdown just before Christmas last year has left many people feeling angry and betrayed. The Christmas party was held on December the 18th while the nation was social distancing, while dying COVID patients were refused visitors in an effort to contain the spread of COVID-19. Bereaved families have branded the revelations a bullet to the chest. Lobby Akinola is a spokesman for the COVID-19 bereaved families for justice who lost his father to COVID last year. He joins me on the line. Uh, Lobby, if I can use your first name, no other word for that film of um, Allegra Stratton laughing and joking other than say absolutely shocking. Yes, I agree. It's, it's, I think it's just awful. It's awful that you know, that that was the attitude that was held towards the rules at the time and also towards breaking them. Um, it's just shocking and it, it's hurtful. So, sorry to intrude on your grief, but when did you lose your father? I lost my father April last year, yeah. And were, at the time, were there all sorts of COVID restrictions on visiting and that sort of thing? Uh, yes, there were, actually. Um, it's a painful one because I had planned go home for my birthday um, the lockdown restrictions were first introduced um, but obviously because they were introduced I stayed at home um, in London instead of going to my family and as a result it means I never saw my dad alive again. I'm very sorry to hear that um, what of um, the fact that rulemakers in Downing Street um, are law breakers? They're the ones who came up with all these restrictions on visiting people in hospitals, funeral restrictions and all the like of it. And yet there they were gaily and in a carefree way breaking the rules. And then you see senior staff joking about it just a few days later. Like I said, it's a betrayal. It's so, it's so hurtful. It's hard to articulate you know, the sense of pain that you have knowing that, you know, we as a nation all sacrificed. We did what we thought we had to do, abided by the rules that they gave to us because we thought this is how we protect each other. This is how we put our fellow man first and make sure we do everything we can to come through this. And to know that at the same time the government was having parties, it's almost sneering at the efforts of the public because these are the leaders, like you said, they're the people who gave us the rules and yet they see themselves apparently as above them. And even more so to joke about it, like it's not, people are dying. People were dying as they were partying and to think that they were like, well, you know, it's all a big joke. No, no big deal. We can do what we want. It's just so hurtful. And I, I don't think it's, it's acceptable especially for a position of leadership. You're, you're a spokesman for the COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice. What justice do you want for families like yours? Uh, and what do you want to come out of this, uh, this um, great controversy about what's gone on in number 10? Um, I think, first things first, we, we need an account. For, for, for there to be accountability, we need to know what happened. And we need to know the truth. There's been so much equivocating and evading of questions. I think the government needs to just stand up and just explain, in all honesty, what happened. And I think that we need, yeah, accountability. You know, people who were standing out the walls who thought it was okay to slam them need to know that that is not okay. It's not acceptable to break the law and that they are not above it. And I think when we talk about justice, it's 
if two there's two like strands to that is that one is the accountability for mistakes that have been made or decisions that were wrong, and two is making sure that we do everything to make sure this doesn't happen again. That no, as few people as possible have to suffer the loss of a loved one result of COVID. Um, as this campaign, we've been pushing for an inquiry so that we can learn from our previous mistakes, learn lessons. And I think um, as a campaign, and personally, I want to see that start as quickly as possible so that we don't have the repeat of these situations where the people who are supposed to be guiding us through this crisis are they themselves floundering the laws they've made and having a joke about it. That's Lobby Akinola, spokesman for the COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice, who lost his father in COVID last year during COVID restrictions. Uh, and of course, as we now know, number 10, they were flouting them and laughing about it. Thanks for joining us. So there's all sorts of rumours that the government is going to announce that, the, that we'll be moving into Plan B in the COVID restrictions as early as this week, or a decision could be announced as early as tomorrow. Plan B would involve potentially COVID passports, much more working from home, and is a sign that the government is growing more concerned about the new Omicron variant. Dr Kishan Badalia is a frontline NHS doctor who works on government health campaigns about COVID and the vaccine and joins me now. Dr Badalia, there is a fear, or maybe it's not a fear for, for people in the medical profession, that we may be uh, dramatically ramping up the COVID restrictions, much more working from home, potentially COVID vaccine passports, uh, because there's this fear that the not only is this variant more transmissible, but things like the Pfizer vaccine may not be as effective in countering it. Very interesting question, and I'm sure it's actually a very difficult one to, to answer with a lot of scientific data um, to back up what, what the decisions that we make or the opinions that we have. Now, I completely understand the fear that people have. It was the same case when we had the, the emergence of the Delta variant, where there was a lot of fear, there was a lot of discussions, um, and ultimately, the the recommendations were to to get the double get double jabbed with the COVID nineteen vaccines because that would give you the best chance of protection. Now, with the uh, the new Omicron variant, there there's a lot more research that needs to be done. Um, but our best weapon is to have the vaccines. Um, we don't know if it's going to if the vaccines will help protect us in the same way that it helped us with the Delta variant, but it should protect us from the, the more serious and severe disease that most people are worried about. This is what most leading scientists believe. We talk about um, getting the vaccine, but we know there's still a stubborn four or five million people in this country, Dr. Badalia, who won't have it. Uh, and education hasn't worked. Uh, persuasion hasn't worked, which is why we see in countries like Austria now, um, they're talking about compulsory vaccinations, compulsory vaccinations in France if you're over the age of 65. Um, I don't think the Prime Minister could get it through the House of Commons, frankly, but you as a medic, would you go yeah. down the uh, compulsion route? Well, as a doctor, my priority is health. Um, obviously, I'm not a politician. But as a doctor, my, my my view is that we should encourage people as much as possible to, to be double-jabbed. I can't, I'm not comfortable making an opinion on whether we should enforce this, but I would like to encourage people and give people the choice um, that they need to give, give them all the information because there's a lot of people out there 
who still don't fully understand um, what having the vaccine entails, the risks and the benefits. And that's part of the education. And that's me having worked across A&E and in community settings. I still have patients asking me questions on it. So if we can continue to educate them in full, we might see that change. How important is the booster jab in your view? The booster jab is, is very important. Um, I mean, as we enter the winter months where there's a greater social contact indoors, um, it's colder, it's darker, there's a higher risk of transmission. And this is now a period of time where several weeks and months after people have had their, their second COVID vaccine, we need to now top up our defences. This is something that's very important for the winter months. So, yes, anyone who's had... Uh, the jabs make sure you go ahead and get your boosters as well Classy, just finally we've been talking about christmas parties in in downing street um a lot of people are worried now about christmas parties will you be going to a christmas party doctor i've got i've got no plans to to go to any christmas parties i want to be able to socialize with people friends and families because that's important for my mental health and well-being but in as safe a manner as possible so doing things outdoors being socially distanced wearing masks where possible and ensuring that I'm double jabbed and have had my, my boosters. That's what I'd expect of myself and of the people I'm around. That's Dr. Kishan Badalia. He is an NHS doctor working on the front line and working on government health campaigns about COVID and the vaccine. Thanks for joining us. Time to talk sport now with the Deputy Sports Editor, Matt Gatwood, who I think must be pretty damn depressed about the first day of the Ashes first test down there, down under in Brisbane. Bit of a disaster, Matt. Yeah. Absolutely. You wait two and a half years and get all excited on the night before and in the build-up. And then the very first ball as you're sitting down with your glass of beer or your cup of tea and bang, England are naught for one. Very first delivery of the series and Rory Burns, the England opener, was dismissed. And I'm afraid that set the tone for the England performance last night on day one of the series. Um, Bowled out pretty cheaply, 147 all out. Um, and the absolute momentum now with Australia. But it was more than that. There's a few, there's a few strange decisions, really. The, the team that uh, England selected by uh, dropping Stuart Broad, one of their most experienced um, bowlers, obviously. Um, they, we already knew that Jimmy Anderson, the other ver- very experienced bowler, wasn't going to play. And yet, it was, so therefore, it was a huge surprise when the team was announced and there was no Stuart Broad. It looked to me, and it looked to most observers, like the sort of wicket um, and the sort of conditions that a bowler like Stuart Broad would have loved. It was green, which means the ball will move around. So perfect for him with overcast conditions, which makes the ball swing. So you would have thought, well, this is a uh, perfect for Stuart Broad. Uh, but he didn't make it. And, and they won, England won the toss. So England won the toss and then they chose to bat. And then they're all out for 147. So I know it's hindsight and the benefit of hindsight is a beautiful thing. But you looked at it and you thought, well, we've won the toss. We've got a good bowling attack. We've got a pretty average batting attack. Let's take advantage of our strength. Let's bowl. Let's get Stuart Broad in the team and let's see if we can't take some wickets. Uh, but they didn't. They decided to bat with their dodgy back lineup, and the result is they're 147 all out. Not great. Uh, but um, on football, Matt, um, Liverpool, did they get a half a dozen? Well, so Liverpool uh, finished their Champions League group last night uh, with another win, which means that they, they have won all of their group games. So all six of their group games were wins. Now, that's only happened uh, about eight times before. Um, and now not every team who's done it has gone on to win the trophy. Uh, Bayern Munich have. They were the only other ones to do it. But it's a pretty good sign if you can go through 
uh, your whole Champions League group and win every game. And even more impressive, last night, it didn't matter to them because they'd already won the group. So they played a few reserve players and they still managed to go and win in Milan, beating AC Milan 2-1 in the San Siro. So a sign that this Liverpool side um, will, you'd think, go deep, deep into this competition. And um, what about Tottenham? Are they COVIDed out? Oh, so Tottenham have been hit with uh, COVID in the camp. Yeah, there's up to up to seven players have uh, have gone down with COVID. Uh, so they are now in the process of appealing to the Premier League uh, to try to get their game with Brighton at the weekend uh, postponed. Um, now, uh, the Premier League may well agree, but of course the problem with this season uh, and of seasons of late is that the, the fixtures are so squashed uh, together because of the World Cup that comes next year. So there's very little wriggle room in the calendar. So if they start postponing this fixture, then the next one, then the next one, they'll end up playing four in a week. So Tottenham are in a real pickle with this. And also, of course, it remains to be seen. If this, if this COVID that's at Tottenham now, if it starts spreading around the league, uh, how many more games could we see? And could we even see potentially the league postponed again? Like we had, um, obviously, a, uh, a year and a half ago. Now, obviously, none of us want that. But, uh, you know, there is a there is a possibility. It, do you think that really is a possibility? Well, I, I just think that if, you know, if, if enough players go down, um, then, you know, enough fixtures get cancelled, then managers start going down. I don't know. I hope not. I really hope not. I hope we're in a position where we can crack on. But uh, but you just never know. Well, uh, sobering thoughts there from Matt Gatford, who is, of course, the Daily Mail's deputy sports editor. Ministers' mixed messaging around safety guidelines to do with the holiday season is causing all sorts of problems for those trying to make festive plans. So, what are your rights if your transport is cancelled? Money Mail reporter Fiona Parker has broken down your rights in the case of another lockdown, which could be coming before Christmas. And Fiona joins me now. Fiona, what is the main area of concern for um, our readers? Well, for our readers, I think it's going to be travelling around the country or maybe beyond um, as we all get together at Christmas. So hopefully um, a family Christmas that we're all looking forward to again. And so this is if people may have booked trains, coaches, planes, and then if travel restrictions are introduced, such as they were last year or the, the rule of six we had last year, um, that could impact. And if you bought your ticket, can you get your money back? Well, Andrew, it's all going to depend on whether your plane, bus or train actually goes ahead. Um, I think the problem is if you if you have a flight booked, for example, and it is cancelled, you will get your money back and you should actually get it back within seven days. Although, of course, firms are being, being a bit slower considering how many people are getting in contact and asking for a refund. The issue is if that plane does take off and perhaps has people on board who are travelling um, for business purposes, essential reasons, then it can get a bit trickier and it really is going to depend on that individual company and what their policy is. And so um, so you, what you're saying, that we've got maybe four or five different rail companies, they all may have a different policy on that. Potentially, yeah. You, you are going to have to get in contact with that individual provider or even if you, just before you book, have a look and see what their policy is. Now, you know, quite a few of them are being very flexible. Obviously, they want to take on new bookings. They want to offer their customers that reassurance. They may allow you to claim for a credit and use that credit or voucher, you know, within a year or two years or so. 
Um, but, you know, it's not necessarily the case that um, if you can't go and see your granny, I don't know, in Scotland, etc., you will get that cash back. In fact, unless that trip is completely cancelled on the train company's part, it's, it's unlikely. So what the best you could hope for, perhaps, is, is, is a credit note that you could take the trip later on when restrictions are lifted. Well, quite. And, and that's the thing. A lot of companies are offering um, credit or vouchers because ultimately they want you to come back as a customer and, and use that booking and, and use them again. Um, so it's unlikely that you'll be told, you know, um, you can't get any money back at all unless, of course, you know, potentially maybe you cancel it yourself, um, you know, for a personal reason. But like I say, a lot of companies are being flexible. So just make sure you give them a ring and research your options. The trouble is you can never get through to anybody on the phone, Fiona. So you've got to read mm. the small print on, on the website. Because, I mean, how often can you ever get through? I can never get through to anybody at rail companies. It can be very tricky, can't it? And although, you know, some companies obviously do offer web chats and emails and other alternatives, a lot of people are waiting a long time to get a response on those, or maybe that isn't a medium that they feel comfortable using. Um, so really... I think really you've highlighted a, an important point there just before you book kind of like you know maybe make sure you look for your terms and conditions um, you know look on the website look on anything you can find just to make sure you know where you will stand if if that does happen. Because there will be in the way that was, was unthinkable 18 months ago there will be a whole oh. section presumably if you can find it about Covid. There probably will be yes um, companies have had plenty of time now to um, arm themselves with these COVID policies and to work out where they stand and where their customers will stand in these situations. And um, so that is very likely to be the case. All right, that's Fiona Parker, as ever, done a great job in Money Mail talking about what your rights are and what you, what you may can and can't get uh, if your train, your flight, your coach is cancelled because the government may be bringing in new restrictions. Thanks for joining us. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. Good night. Good night.